when you first got to the varsity football team at Bel Air, who was the first person to kick your butt? Or what was that welcome to varsity moment? Um, I don't know that I had that exact, like, kick my butt varsity moment. I do recall being a scout defensive lineman and, you know, squeezing down and getting blown up on the trap by uh, one of the guards. Um, his name was Jesse Frazier, and he went and played at Nickel State. Um, you know, I, if Jesse were to ever listen to this episode, uh, I feel like I still have some some bit dinged up shoulder issues from that. Uh, but, you know, it was all part of the, you know, I paid my dues on the scout team. Um, and I was, I, I've talked about it uh, before on my podcast um, with, with three guys that coached me in high school. And I, I you know, to me, I was, I was below average football player. Uh, they said I was politely said I was average, but uh, we made, we finally made the playoffs my junior year and it had been a 30 year drought. And I, you know, remember just being on there. I, I made it on the, we, I think we sold cups or so we did some wow. kind of commemorative deal yeah. and I made it on the cup and I was like, or whatever the shirt was. And I was like, Holy crap. Like I made it. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, 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 I was definitely one of those call ups as a reward for buying into the program, busting my butt, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was the fundraising, the summer workouts, the practices, um, you know, like I, I remember telling my parents, like, you cannot, I don't miss practice. Like if we got to go to the doctor or whatever, oh my God, I'm, I love this. It, it's gotta be at a, it's gotta be <laughs> no. at a time that does not conflict with football practice. It can, it can mess with like powerlifting or track or like freshman year. I swam, you know, that that's, that that's fine. It can miss any of those, but I don't miss football. I don't miss workouts. Uh, and I just. I, like I said, I was not very good, but I was bought in uh, 100%. You know, martial law will tell you, like, if anybody, you know, was all about Bel Air Cardinals football, it was it was Peter Noonan, you know, from, from the time that I can remember. Um, you know, I, I just remember one time driving home and uh, I saw I guess they were seniors at the time and they had this, the, the we had a Cardinal statue um, and it was probably about four feet tall, but it was in the back of a pickup. And I just remember drive, we were driving home one day in my parents' van and uh, it was, I was like, Oh, that's really cool. And, you know, I just, that kind of just sparked like, I, I want to go to Bel Air, you know? And then I, I didn't care that they were any, they were good or bad at football. I just, that's where I needed to go. That's where I thought I needed to be. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, ensuring them I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, ensuring them I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. 
one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. All right, welcome back to another new episode of the Team Player Podcast. Y'all, we are at episode number 30. I've got a very special guest. I'm kind of starstruck right now. I have a fellow podcaster in the room, and this guy is actually someone that I've modeled a lot of this show after and I, I really look up to. But really, most importantly, he is also the defensive line coach and strength and conditioning coach for football at Hendrickson High School in Pflugerville, Texas. Like I said, he is the host of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast. I've got my mighty triumvirate. I have three sports podcasts that I am subscribed to and I listen to religiously. As far as in the high school sports sector, number one, hanging of Coach Noonan. So all of my listeners, push pause and search for hanging of Coach Noonan. Hit the follow button. Listen every – I just listened today, actually, to his newest episode. And then number two, the iCoach podcast. This is no, in no particular order. No, no shade at you, Marvin. But the iCoach podcast, Marvin Nash, college teammate of mine from Austin College. His is excellent. Great back catalog. He took a little bit of a break, but he is going to, I think, start it back up this fall. And the third one is the Job 87 podcast. I have recently had Jason Campbell on our show. He's the head boys basketball coach at Northbrook. So his is newer as well, and it is also excellent. And he does some really high-level stuff on there. So those three, all right, Hanging of Coach Noonan, I Coach, and Job 87 podcast. You got to listen to those. But we are so honored to have Coach Noonan on the show today. If you're a part of the team player movement, you've been listening, please give us that five-star review. That helps us so much. I don't understand all the algorithm behind it, but the more reviews we can get, the more five stars, the easier people can find this show and hear great stories like Coach Noonan's. We've already got over 50 reviews. That's not bad for a little one-man operation like our show, so I'm so thankful for all y'all that did that. Please, if you haven't yet, uh, it just takes 10 seconds. If you leave a review, I'll read it on the show, so please leave some reviews on there. Hit the follow button, like I said, for their podcast. Do it for mine as well, please, and uh, we'd be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach, let's dive into it. You, you know, I'm living now inside the loop. I grew up in Sugarland, but now I live kind of in the Heights North Side area. You know, so you also grew up inside the loop, or I guess technically outside the loop, but you you get it. You're, yeah, you grew up yeah. in the Bel Air area, the Meyerland Bel Air area, so just outside the loop there. And you said your parents still live in that same house you grew up in. So just for a suburban kid like me, describe you know describe to me what it was like growing up in the city of Houston. Um, I mean, it, I don't feel like it's anything special for me in the sense of like, uh, you know, it was a it was a quiet neighborhood for me. Like, mm. I just remember it was. So I'm the oldest of three. I have two younger sisters. And then there was across the street, a few houses down, there was like one other uh, kid who was about like about my age. And, um, you know, that was it, you know, and then um, on the next block over a different street uh, was another family that we all went to the same church together and we kind of grew up together. Um, you know, but then as we, uh, as you get older, right, you kind of go separate ways. And so, um, we, we both, I think went to different high, different junior highs. We ended up at the same high school. Uh, don't really kind of, 
you know, we're not in the same crowds and all that. And, you know, it's all good. Um, you know, but for me, just growing up, it was, it was me and my sisters, um, you know, both my parents worked, um, they still work very hard to this day. And so I, I, I'm very thankful for their, their sacrifices. Um, they did not spare us any opportunities, um, you know, whether it was athletics or, uh, you know, dance for my sisters or, you know, music, um, whether it was for me or my youngest sister, but we, we were able to do a whole lot. Um, and I know it stresses them. It stressed them financially. And, you know, I, I hope one day that I can fully repay them, uh, you know, for that. But at the same time, I wouldn't have traded that, you know, and the other day would be um, just having uh, my cousins. So my mom is one of seven. And so all of her brothers and sisters, save two, live in in Houston, in the Houston area. Wow. And actually, her one of her younger sisters lives in Pecan. Well, her, her the sister still lives in Pecan Grove. Okay, that's um, the part of town I'm from. I'm from yeah. the territory, so just in that same area, yeah. Austin Heights, Fort Yeah, Austin so Heights, I'm yeah. so I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, heck, you might even know my cousin. Uh, what year did you graduate? I graduated in 2002. So my cousin Shanna graduated from Austin High. Uh, her last name is Samble. I don't know if that rings any bells. Well, we had a Mike Mike Sample. No, I don't think I knew Shanna. We had a Mike Samples on our football team, but no, okay. that's the closest I got. Yeah. I got you. No, she was big into um, theater and stuff, but it's okay. – it's I, if you would have known her like that would have been the smallest of small worlds but, Bears, yeah you know it, it's still crazy how we you know you flipped and now you you live now where, you know where i used to live that's right and but i have ties to where you grew up and you know it's just that's the way the world is um you know and we're never more than a couple of degrees of separation it seems and um you know so just gathering with my large family um you know, many of them still live in the same houses uh, that that I remember growing, you know, growing up in and, you know, like going to my grandmother's house. She lives not far from Madison High School. Uh, most of my, you know, my parents and uh, their siblings, almost all of them went to Madison. Uh, they talk, they, they talk stories of crossing Hiram Clark, like yeah. when it was just pasture and, and farmland, like hardly any development. Um you know, so it, it, she's still there and, you know, we we go to visit and it's a lot of her neighbors are still the same. So it's kind of interesting and they've been changed over in that neighborhood. But it's it's cool to just kind of look at the way certain things are kept the same, but then everything else changing around them. Yeah, you know, it, it, this is pretty it's a cool treat for me because, like, like I said, I, I started listening to your podcast on the recommendation. I was listening to coach Nash's podcast and he recommend, I'd never, you know, I had not come across your podcast yet. He recommended it. I started listening. I was instantly hooked because like you mentioned, I think you and I have a lot of similarities, just a lot of things that happen in our lives. And, and I just, I really found myself enjoying your podcast. You know, I really did. I love the, I love your outlook. Um, I think for parents or coaches or players that listen to your show. I mean, I, I think you just have a, you have a really, measured level-headed approach to everything you know I, I really appreciate that but this is your opportunity to talk now you you're always the host you know so now this is your opportunity to talk but like I said 
I really enjoyed one of my favorite episodes when you interviewed your dad. You had your dad come on. He was talking about Madison High School, you know, back in the day. He was talking about describing how the little league structure worked at that time. I just found it fascinating, you know, just to kind of just take that trip back in time and to a simpler time, you know, and, and hear how things were. So that was really fun. And so you sounds like you had a, a similar childhood in a sense that you you enjoyed, you know, growing up in that Meyerland and Bel Air area. But you you said from a young age, you saw that you saw that sticker and you knew you're a cardinal, you know, and boy howdy did you ever have the did you ever come through bel-air at the right time to find the right dynamic <laughs> leader to uh to, to guide you through a great high school experience now again this is where our worlds kind of collide here i coached for 11 years i was a defensive coordinator at ridge point was kind of where i really really started having some success career-wise we had some great teams including a 12 and 1 team in 2014 and at that time my my mentor and head coach brett sniffen he's now the head coach of uh, belton high school so kind of kind of you know going up near your area there um yeah they're on the schedule again this year so. are they really yeah we we played yeah. them uh i know we played them last year i don't remember if we played them my first year no i don't think we played them my first year at hendrickson but yeah they're on the schedule again this year yeah, so. you'll have to go in free game go shake coach sniffin's hand <laughs> and say hey we're both team player podcast alums because he's a big fan of the show he really we we're actually talking about it at coaching school this past weekend but uh but anyhow he, i i was the type of coach that never looked at a job board when i was initially i was at clements and Sniffin left to go to Ridgepoint. He asked me to come with him. Yes, of course. Big promotion, you know. And then when I was Ridgepoint, never looked. And, and Sniffin said, hey, we're having a great season. You and the offensive, myself and the offensive coordinator, Bobby Darnell, now the head coach at Clements, District 26A coach of the year. He took that team from one and nine to four and six. Now they went seven wins this year. Um, you know, he said, you guys should look. You know, th this we caught lightning in a bottle. This is a great season. Like your, your stock is never higher than ever. So that was the first time I looked and I was drawn to Aldine. I really was like, I, I wanted to make that move in, inside the loop. You know, I'd always been a suburban guy. I lived in Shadow Creek Ranch when I was coaching at Ridgepoint. I was young and single. And I know just, just on my personal life, a lot of the younger single girls were living inside the loop, right? They, they were enjoying the heights or the, you know, different various areas. So I was like, you know what? I, I kind of want to be in that part of town. And I was drawn to the underdog story of Aldine. I was also drawn to the history of Aldine, the 1990 state, state and national championship. So it was, it was really, um, you know, interesting to me. Anyhow, fast forward, I, my career head coaching record, Peter, is 2-18, and 18, you know, so I, I did not achieve my goals like I wanted. We were 2-8 and eight the first year, which included a, one of my, my proudest win of all my coaching career, included a, play, a victory over Nimitz, who was a playoff team. We beat Aldine Nimitz in the rain on a Saturday afternoon, and they made the playoffs. That was a big win for a two-win team to, to beat a playoff team, and then went 0-10 my last year. And I just, I, I wasn't, I found myself feeling like I just wasn't, achieving the you know the standards that i had set out for myself when i took the job also started feeling that perhaps my best role was as an assistant as a defensive coordinator that's why i was really thriving i said maybe just this job description of campus athletic coordinator piece it wasn't the football like i love the football but maybe maybe that wasn't for me and that, i was like you know this has been my dream to be a head coach it happened it wasn't exactly how i expected i'm young you know, I was blessed to have to be in the right place at the right time and get the opportunity. I said, let me try something else. So that's why that's when I tried sales. This is how our, you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever you call it. This is where I meet martial law. I, I actually I, I had a I went to Austin College, Division three school, played football there. One of, one of my friends knew uh, Coach Law and they said, hey, he's he's so similar to you. He was like one of the youngest coaches in the Houston area. He was like 30 when he got the job at Bel Air, you know, and then he got out and now he's selling class rings. That'd be a good fit for you. You're, you know, people in the school. So that's how I met Marshall Law. 
So now setting the, setting the table here, Marshall Law was your head coach. My question is, what was it like playing for a teen heartthrob? Because <laughs> the, reason, <laughs> the reason I ask you that, Peter, is I was at an Austin College reunion event, and I, I actually met one of my Austin College classmates, who's a classmate of you and, and Brandon and all them from Bel Air. I, I won't disclose her name, but I, we just got to talking, and Coach Law's name came up because she said she went to Bel Air, and she's like, oh, my God, we – all my friends and I were, we were, we all had huge crushes on coach law. We'd be like, Oh my God, I saw coach law today. <laughs> you know? And I know coach law back in the day said he used to go to that wild West, which no longer exists out there on Richmond and do his two step. And so I, I, coach law, you know, was that dude at that time. So just, I'm, you know, I'm sure he's going to listen to this episode. What was it beyond the heartthrob portion? What was it like having him as your leader? Cause I, I just know, I know you spoke very highly of him in, in your episode. And so I, I just want to know for, for, for coaches listening, what was what was it like playing for martial law? So I'll let you I'll start with the letdown a little bit. Yeah. I was probably I was honestly probably oblivious to the heartthrob thing. Um <laughs> ma- mainly because you know, and I don't think I've ever talked about this on my podcast per se, but I've had conversations, you know, just introspective reflecting and whatnot. I, I I was a little bit of a loner through high school. Mm. Like I was a part of football and I was friends with everybody on the football team, but I didn't hang out with them as much. Um, You know, I I was very much like school, football, church, and it pretty much just kind of went in that deal. The other deal is just, you know, having two younger sisters who are very active as well. Like, you know, I, I just didn't have, the freedom to go out all the time, uh, or just, just hang out. Um, so I'm sure at times sitting in class, I probably overheard it, but more than likely I I was just oblivious. Um, you know, I, I was not, uh, I was not a ladies man by any chance. I was pretty shy in high school. You know, I'm the short chubby kid. Um, Peter, the similarities continue because that was my (laughs) description. I, I was the exact same way. You know, yes, I was on the football team, but I didn't get invited to the parties that my teammates were having. I didn't drink. You know, I was exactly like you, Peter. I wore jorts. I mean, that was my I wore jorts, a polo and my letter jacket was kind of like my my wardrobe in high school. So, yeah, yeah I wasn't getting dates. So I can I can I can relate, man. But as far as like, you know, on the field and. um, And just the, the day the day to day stuff. I mean. I don't know, you know, that was the only head coach I ever had for the, the from my four years there. Um, but I just always remember there was, there was just always a lot of good energy. Um, coach Law did a great, in my opinion, and really looking back on it now and being able to have conversations and relationships with, with still with some of my high school coaches, like he brought in, highly intelligent football people. He brought in, you know, a lot of high energy guys. Um, You know, John Henry Mills had just finished his career uh, in the NFL. So, you know, to have that person and just sit and listen to him tell stories of the NFL, um, you know, John Henry Mills, and I've said it on my podcast, to me, he's the sole reason why I'm coaching. Um, He, uh, you know, when I, to kind of fast forward when I got out of college 
I had no idea. Like I thought I was going to be Drew Rosenhaus, right? Like that right, was the right, big right. name football agent, you know? Um, and I was like, I'm going to be the next Drew Rosenhaus and try to get into law school to me, the LSAT, the entrance exam for law school and possibly the CSCS. So the, the strength and conditioning coach certification tests are the two hardest tests I've ever taken in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like I aced the ace, the SAT by any stretch. Uh, I was probably average at best on my scores there, but it, it just, it's a, it's so much more, especially with the LSAT, it's so much more about how you prepare to take the test. It's not, there's not content that you can study and memorize like with at least with like CSCS, like there's scientific things related to the body that you can do. There's, you know, different, um, you know, how far does a, does the, you know, platform need to be from a mirror? How high does a mirror need to be off a ground? Like there's a lot of little things that you can memorize for a test like that. When it comes to the LSAT, I, you just you so much strategy. Um, and I was working, almost full-time, you know, my last year in college, um, at a little, um, oyster and burger shack, uh, which I mean, it was great. I loved it. Um, but I, you know, working almost 40 hours a week, uh, still going to class and just wanting to be a college senior and enjoy my last semester, my last year at FSU. Like I gave it a, I gave it the old college try, you know, so I, I come home and I started doing uh, outside sales at a local newspaper and I hated it. It's mm-hmm. actually the only job I've ever been fired from. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't peg you as the guy that gets fired. <laughs> What'd you do, Peter? <laughs> well, I, so I just, I, I think flat out, I didn't bring in enough. Sure. Um, oh, I got you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and I, I don't, I'll say this, if you, you know, looking at it from a, like a business model perspective, I don't think that the model that was being run, and I won't say the paper's name because I'm not, I don't want to necessarily throw anybody under the bus, but I don't think that there was enough being reinvested into the company. Mm-hmm. It had just been getting by on what it used to really be. And it was just, it was all about really just continuing the consistent customer base. Uh, I tried to, you know, get some new customers. My dad's a hell of a salesman. I'm just, yeah. it's just not me. Um, sure. so I go up to Bel Air and coach Mills is there. And I'm like, Dude, I, I don't have, I, I need a job. Like, I, I don't know what to do. Um, can you help me? And Trey Herman, uh, was the head coach at the time. And he was like, well, let me talk to him and, you know, we'll see. They were like, well, you know, I, I don't even remember if it happened that day or I came back another, you know, later, but basically they were like, we can make you the video, you know, you're in charge of video. And so this was pre huddle what it is now. Like when I started in 2009 huddle was crap. Nobody wanted huddle. Like it was, it was cheap. It was not very reliable. Most everybody was running DSV, but this was also the DVD era, the mini DV era, you know, different databases, like everything was all hard drive. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I have my little closet of an office. I was, I was literally like Eric Spolster, man. Like, yeah, I yeah. was the video guy. Like I, I chopped up film and did the exchanges, um, you know, and, and so. Um, in-person exchanges. Yeah. In-person that, that, exchanges. That's a, a couple episodes ago, coach Oliveri and I, 
were reminiscing about it. There's some funny coaching memes on Twitter where it's like, you, you see a guy in the street corner looks kind of stupid. Hey, hey, you got the tapes? Like, that's really how it was. Like, we, we, we drive to a secluded parking lot, meet somebody we don't know, and be like, hey, you got the tapes? You know, <laughs> and it's crazy. And, like, and, and it's crazy to think, like, you, you talk about that now, and people are like, why would you, why would you subject yourself to a, a total stranger? I was like, well, but it, that's the, one, that's the way it was done then. But two, like, they're, they're as much as apprehensive about it as you are. Like, sure you know, because it's probably some low guy on the totem pole that's just trying to break in and not screw this up because the deal is, is like, if you screw this up, like then that guy's got to go back. And right. it, it's a whole process that, that today, like I, it's still tedious to intercut film and all that uh, with the way huddle is now, because it's just the way, you know, when you're integrating different camera angles, it's a tedious period but there's a lot more ability to course correct in the midst of what you're doing when versus like a hard, you know, and, and of course I'm sure there's old guys that are like, ah, well, you know, you, you didn't cut, you know, videotape. And I'm right. like, look, man, I paid my dues. You, you just were born, you, you know, a few decades earlier than me, but in essence, we were doing a, a similar deal. So, uh, you know, but that's the deal. And, and, you know, the other deal is uh, coach James, coach Larkay James. Uh, I think I, we talked about it on his pot on his episode on my podcast. He, he was the first highlight film that I remember watching. Yeah. Like, and his was a tape, like a VHS yeah. tape. Right. Um, from his time. I think he had a little bit from Bel Air, uh, but it was a lot of his time at Houston, man. And it was like, I just remember, I don't remember what game we were going to, but we watched it on the bus. Uh, we had, I think we had chartered buses at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cause it was a, it was a further drive. Um, but we, uh, we just remember watching it. It was, and we were all hyped up and excited. And I, I couldn't tell you if we won or lost, but I, you know, we, we had just a lot of fun. Um, you know, and I remember playing with Brandon, um, I think it might have been our junior year, and he he got called up like it was either junior year or sophomore year. Um, but we, we, you know, he was playing. I don't know, remember if he was quarterback or he had, you know, gone ahead and moved to, to running backer and linebacker. Um, but I just remember, you know, playing with a guy like Brandon Richards, and mm-hmm. we just had so much fun. Uh, and, and that was, I guess, that's the deal. It's just like the best way to describe it, it was, it was fun. Yeah. It was, a, we had a lot of talent. We had a lot of great personalities from, from the kids and we fed off the coaches. Um, and, and so there's no doubt that the way in which I coach stems from coach law, coach Mills, coach James, um, you know, and, and, some of the other coaches that I've had just from, uh, you know, maybe the analytical perspective on things like those guys just imparted so much to me. And, you know, because they paid it forward, you know, it's my job to pay it forward. And, and, you know, I think that's just, that's the biggest deal with coaching is it's always about paying it forward and, you know, creating opportunity for somebody behind you. Um, You know, if, if I were to ever leave coaching the, the, the best thing that I could hope people would say is, you know, 
he coached hard, but he still cared enough to take time to talk to, you know, somebody else. So, you know, for me as a podcaster, for you to say that you look at my podcast as a way in which to emulate yours, man, that means a huge deal. Um, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out the whole podcasting deal, right? You know, like how do, how do I get better? What do I do? I, I, I look at coach Nash's, you know, and, and everything that he's done and the way in which he's done it to have him on uh, mine was a huge deal for me just because, yeah. you know, he's a legend in the game as a, you know, to me as a coach, but then also, you know, he, like you said, he, he was one of those first podcast coaches, yeah. um, you know, and then, um, the, the two Twitter chats that I run on Tuesday nights for defensive line and Sundays for, um, strength and conditioning, uh, Adam Harvey, um, who's now at, um, I think he's back in the New Braunfels area at, uh, Clements. So mm -hmm. I guess it would be San Antonio Clements mm -hmm. or Clemens. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, he runs the no fly zone, Tony Schiffman running hog football chat with Jack Dingus. Um, and then the Godfather, as we affectionately call him, um, running, you know, Texas high school football chat. Like, you know, th those are, there's so many great and, people. And, and just one thing though, you know, we talk about the, like, the little similarities, Chris Fisher, who you're speaking of the Godfather. That's a longtime friend of mine. Yeah. We coached together at Clements and at Ridgepoint, you yeah. know what I mean? And so Coach Fisher was also instrumental in helping me have the confidence to start this podcast and helping me get going. And it's so funny. Every Anytime I, I release something, within five seconds, I see Texas High School Football Chat has liked your tweet and has retweeted your tweet. <laughs> we were kind of laughing and, about that. And, like, and it makes it – but it, it means a lot, you know. Yeah, like absolutely. for me, for me, there are certain people – that when they respond or when they engage with what I do, it just carries a little bit more weight. You're not, you're not diminishing anybody else, but there's a certain sense of validation or at least admiration when they engage with you, because you at least aspire to emulate them because you believe what they're doing is of, of the utmost uh, yeah. quality. Um, you know, but by the same time, and I know you will agree, like we're appreciative of all the support we get, no matter who it's from, mm -hmm. well, you know, but I think everybody could, put, could agree. Like, you know, if, if you posted a tweet about quarterbacks and Tom Brady liked it and <laughs> 1700 other people liked it, it's great. But Tom Brady liked it. Like, let's focus yeah. on that for a second instead of the other 1699 people like sure. Tom Brady, like who's going to be upset that, you know, you're you're highlighting the, that over them you know i wouldn't you know, you know and i'm sure there'd be one person like nick saban says you can't make everybody happy uh if you if you if you could you know go sell ice cream and i'm like shoot you can sell ice cream and still not make people happy so there's always going to be that oh, yeah. one sourpuss in the in the barrel no doubt about that man you know and, and you know you mentioned brandon uh, richard um, I always call him Richard. He tells me I can call him whichever one I want. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. And Brandon's been extremely successful uh, kind of in the home flipping business. And, and just, he's, he's just totally remodeled some, some beautiful homes in the Westbury area and just other areas. Uh, and he's just great. And I, so Brandon, I met through coach law, their business partners, as you talked about in your show. And 
your episode of martial law was also my favorite you the one of your dad and one of martial law are my favorites because he is a good salesman i know you said you it, sales wasn't for you martial law could you know could sell whatever they say you know sell uh a ketchup popsicle to an eskimo or something you know, all the all those little funny sayings martial law could do it and it's so funny how proud he is of you guys like he would always tell stories when me and brandon were around of like how brandon's class and, and yourself included were pivotal in change and then he, he goes in that same spiel of like you know beat madison for the first time in 28 years <laughs> and it's like he just he lists them off like beat this school for the first time in this many years and and his memory that guy's a steel trap i could he was every single one of his stops he was naming all these various coaches various conversations they had he didn't skip a beat like my i'm much younger but my memory is far inferior to coach law so that that was just a real treat but i mean martial law i know he's been out of coaching for a long time but that guy's a coach at heart oh, yeah. and every every time he starts talking about coaching he just lights up like a christmas tree man so i just wanted to share that with you since i've had those conversations with him in person uh just how much he loved y'all and, and you, your class was special and uh yeah so just wanted wanted to definitely share that with you and i enjoyed i enjoyed your other uh you know skills mills and and lark james there and you know, I'm always interested. Scarborough has just had such a long period of, of futility. And it always interests me because I, I've seen a resurgence at Waltrip a couple of years back. We've been down for a while. I've seen a resurgence now at Heights, which was Reagan when you were playing now under Steven Dixon. And so I'm, I'm really pulling for coach James and I hope he can get Scarborough turned around. Uh, Cause that would just be really nice to see, but yeah, really enjoyed those podcasts if you're Bel Air guys. But now speaking of good coaching sayings, you talked about the, the Saban, my favorite Bobby Bowden quote. I read that I read this once and oh my God, it, it is so good. And when he's talking about turning around a program, just like my friend Bobby Darnell did at Clemens, he said, first you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, and finally you win big. And that's exactly what I saw, you know, with Bobby's team going one and nine to four and six and to seven and three. And that's that's the thing that I like to highlight on the podcast. And you talk about this a lot when you talk about when we're blessed to have division one kids come through they're going to, they're going to perform most likely. Right. But you really take a lot of uh, you, you have a lot of pride in when you can get the average kid to show a big increase. And I feel the same way about coaching. Absolutely. The, the, you know, your West Lakes and North shores and your state champ Duncanville is like no doubt about it. The perfect seasons and state championships are, are to be respected, but I, I really like to highlight those teams that can go one and nine to four and six to seven and three. That is so hard to do. Take it for someone who failed to do that. You know, I went from two and eight to one and ten. So I'm, I'm, I'm in. I can say it because I've, I've, I've walked it and failed it. You know, it's so hard to do. So just, just curious, your thoughts on, on that process of, of turning a program around. I don't, I, I've listened to your podcast. I don't, I don't know all of your experience. I know you said you did have an zero and ten mixed in there. So I'm just curious your thoughts on what Bobby Bowden said about turning a program around. Um, you know, so when I was in Kingsville. At Santa Gertrudis, I was the defensive coordinator, and that was my first go as a defensive coordinator. Um, I, I left West Mesquite. Um, I was I was very thankful to be under the tutelage of um, Corey Jordan and Steve Fox, who've both been on the podcast and who I still talk to to this day. Like they're two of the greatest football minds. They love kids, um, you know. But I, I we all talk about. Steve Fox being like a life coach to us while he was is there and like I feel like Fox would would, would have like the perfect answer for this because he's been a 
a small college DC and a small college head coach. And, and he can talk about like, it just, it takes time, but, um, you know, our first year at Sandra Trudis, we won two games, should have won at least four, um, arguably I should have two shutouts on my defensive coordinator, you know, <laughs> yeah. record, um, like literally just two closed eyes, blind passes, um, you know, kind of like when we were at Bel Air, like we could never beat Lamar. Yeah. Um, two times we should have beaten, you know, up the road rival Bishop down there. Um, you know, when I was at West Mesquite, we couldn't beat Mesquite Poteet. Like you always have that, like, sure. you know, booger bear type deal that you just can't get rid of. Um, and you can't shake, you know, and so the biggest deal is I think it's the people in the hiring position and firing position giving time. I think it's also about creating that kind of atmosphere and environment. And I, and I liked how, um, uh, oh, it's escaping me. He's the new head coach. Not the new, but he was the newer head coach at um, Boise State. Uh, he's still there now. Um, Andy. Um, Arevalo, I think is his last name. Avalos, Andy Avalos. And so I, I I think one of the most overused words in all of coaching is the word culture. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he he's like, that's we're, we're, you don't worry about culture until you've established the right kind of foundation and environment. And I think that's the deal. Is like when when we when because my freshman year in high school, we were not very good. We had some talent, um, but Bel Air had always been known for its baseball prowess, right? Rocky Manuels, the longtime, you know, guy and and running the show kind of deal. And uh, I always remember hearing, you know, baseball players don't play football. And by the time I was a senior, we had actually brought in, you know, Rocky was on staff Um, when I, when I got, when I started coaching my, my last two years, Rocky was on staff as a freshman staff. You want to talk about just, this was a guy towards the end of his career. So his, you know, for, for lack of a better term, his give his shit was a little broken. You know, he, <laughs> he was already establishing who was going to take over for him after he left. But I learned a lot from him about, building a program you know because we would have some conversations and he would because we were both uh we would both co- coach the freshman um you know and his his deal was always you ready for some non-football hell are you talking about man like kind of you know i'm i'm like young yeah. i'm trying to focus he's like you know it, it sometimes it'd be random stuff but every now and then um it would be like I remember going to Barcelona sports and he had to pick up an order or something. He's like, I always ordered my stuff in like November so that I have it ready to go in January. I'm not like these other slaps that wait till December, January, and they don't have any of their crap until March. You know, it's like his organization was on point. Um, and, And so I just remember as we developed as a player, it's so key to have 
that right group of coaches. And so for Bobby Bowden, when he started assembling that staff and the lineage and his coaching tree of Mark Richt, of Mickey Andrews, you know, Jimbo's tied to that tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Saban, in a sense, is kind of tied to that tree. Like, there's so much that I think people don't understand that that Bobby Bowden built right kind of what Alabama is today. Bobby had already really kind of laid that foundation at Florida State. And, you know, people kind of poo-poo what they did. But if, if you look at what he did, like 14 straight years in the AP yep. um, and to finish in the top five in, the, in in a lot of those years, like Alabama will probably surpass that one. But, you know, it, it, it's that's not something that's going to be touched. Now, I still hold true that Bobby is the winningest coach in all of Division One college football, um, you know, and Eddie – uh, Eddie Robinson's right there with him, and so is Joe Pa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the NCAA needs to give Bobby his wins back. Like, let's be real, wins are, wins are wins. I don't care where you're getting them at because mm-hmm. you know as well as I do, uh, there's never going to be enough of them, right? right? You can have all the perfect seasons you want, but if you lose that one game, you always remember that loss more than you remember all the wins, you know, especially if it's a close loss. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many of the blowout wins people remember versus like those narrow wins. You know, yeah. like when I was at West Mesquite, we beat uh, Lucas Lovejoy by like 20 something points. It was like it was like the biggest comeback in Texas high school football history. It's like one of the one of the biggest ones. And I just remember being in the locker room at halftime going, what the hell are we doing? Like, why? Why are they? Why are we getting? Why are we in this position? Yeah. And we just. We said screw it, and threw we threw caution to the wind, and we brought the house consistently in that second half, and they just didn't have an answer, yeah. um, you know. And so it, it's been, it's so to me, it's so hard to get over that hump, right, and, and get over being a, a four and six, five and five, you know, seven and three, six and four. To me, it's all kind of right in there. When you start winning eight, nine, ten games and you can make the playoffs consistently, like it's not to be scoffed at. Like it, it takes a long time. And I Absolutely. and I I just think like if administration would give coaches time and the communities would give coaches time, and then players would buy in to what coaches are saying because now the issue to me is just and i know and i kind of understand that it's always really kind of been that way behind the scenes we just some of us knew and some of us were oblivious to it but you know the recruiting of high school players has always been yeah you know let, let, let's just be honest about it um it's it's the ugly side of of the business that that people know about but don't want to talk about but the reality is you know people are winning state championships with other people with other kids that they know are not zoned to their school mm-hmm. um you know and if if homegrown kids would stay put i think you would see just more resurgence you know i, I think those inner the other deal is just creating better opportunities for those inner city schools like 
let them have athletic periods. Let the coaches be in the athletic period. Mm-hmm. Um, give these kids a chance. Like there's, there's just no way that you're going to be successful if you don't give enough of the tools. I, I remember when we first started coaching or when I first started coaching at Bel Air, um, you know, coach Herman was teaching us history mm-hmm. while being a head football coach. Like, and I, and I know it can be done, but the, the way in which schools and the state are in bed with the, with the standardized testing and then to expect a head coach of football to teach a core subject and still win games. Like it's, a, I just remember telling him, telling him it's a catch 22. They want to give you support, but you need to win, but you can't win without the support. So it's like, sure. Sure. Well, well what am I going to do? How do I get what I need? You know, cause something's going to give, right. Something's going to give you're either going to let the teaching increase and lower, lower the football. Or you're going to up the football and, and let the teaching decrease. Like, you know, and not to knock other sports because everybody is, um, every head coach, it's tough, period. Um, but there's just a lot more pressure, at least in the state of Texas, when it comes to being a head football coach that, you know, you you know the you know the pressure of the of that chair. I, I don't, but I saw it firsthand, especially down in Kingsville, like, and unfortunately you deal with fickle school boards that, you know, I, I that's a whole nother conversation sure. for a whole nother day. So no, we won't I, even go I, into that. I hear you coach, but man, you know, going back, I completely agree with your take on Bobby Bowden. You know, I, I do hope he is considered among the all time grades. And really, cause you know, for us that are in our mid third, mid to late thirties or somewhere around that, that era, like my memories of what, what kids today know of is Alabama. That's how I felt about Florida state. You talk about the 93 and 99 championships. Talk about the 14 straight years in the AP top five. I remember like it was coming off that 99 championship that Bobby Bowden came to Fort Ben Austin high school to, to recruit the darling twins, just two phenomenal uh, Devon was, was an inside backer and uh, his, bro- his twin brother, Devard was a wide receiver for us. And just that buzz of you know, Bobby Bowden's in there. And you, you know, I just caught a glimpse of him, and it, it, it's like what people feel like when Saban shows up on campus now. I mean, that, that's what I would equate it to. So I'm curious for you, you are a diehard Florida State fan, and you went straight out there to Tallahassee after you finished at Bel Air. So, was it just the success that they were kind of having as you were growing up? What What was the how, how did you fall in love with the Garnet Gold? First and foremost, they were on TV, so that, okay. they were always in a marquee game. So, yeah, you just you saw it on TV. You you wanted to be where that was. Um, my dad's. Uh, one of my dad's older sisters had already moved to Fort Lauderdale to the Fort Lauderdale area mm-hmm. at that time. And she's, she's been in education. Um, and so she would always send us stuff um, for our birthdays and for, you know, Christmas. And a lot of times it would include um, Florida state stuff. It was yep. never Florida stuff and it was never Miami stuff. Um so it just she just kind of fostered that along with seeing it on TV and you know, of course growing up like sure you know I had dreams and aspirations of playing college ball and playing pro ball uh, but when you don't 
run out of sight in a day and you're short and not super, you know, <laughs> super strong or anything, you just don't have, you yeah. don't have that opportunity. Um, we went and I, I still remember when we went to go visit Florida state, um, my parents and I, and I think one of my sisters, there might've been both of them. Um, it was just, it was a beautiful campus. It felt like home mm-hmm. um, in the sense of like, you just walk around, everybody's really nice. Um, it, you know, you, you just feel welcomed and um, also the humidity uh now i will say at least with tallahassee you get a little bit more breeze because of the sure. proximity to the water uh but you know there's just so much it just felt right and any of my parents were they were cool with it um yeah you know, did you drive you, you drove that every time yeah yeah uh okay. a couple of a couple of times <laughs> i took the greyhound uh oh my god well there you go that's good. that's something else oh um, yeah <laughs> i can imagine you know but like um so freshman year i meet i I, freshman year in the in the we were in an off-campus dorm and i meet um you know four of my best friends uh you know we still talk to this day um and uh you know they're always like they always want the the, you know the preseason outlook on the team Uh, they, they they follow wherever i'm at as far as coaching goes and um so they uh you know, we just meet and we're just going. Uh, one of my buddies is from uh, Philadelphia, so he's done nice. the Greyhound trip all the way up to Ouch. Philly. Woo, man. Yeah, so I, it was like close to 24 hours from Tallahassee to Houston. Uh, I, I think it was almost – it was a day and a half all the way up to Philadelphia. But, uh, yeah, it's a, that was an interesting deal. I think I only flew – I flew once. My uh, My cousin got married. And then I flew out the next morning because begrudgingly I I was going to be, I, I did the marching band. So I was a marching, I was part of the marching chiefs for two years. Okay. Um, so my first year and I'm not like, I'm an okay saxophone player, um, but I had never marched and, and you mm-hmm. know, all through junior high, I played in the jazz band, loved it. Probably had, some of the best time, um, you know, just because we had an amazing music teacher. I had an amazing music teacher in elementary school. Uh, Miss Jenny Croft is a legend in the, in the Houston area. Uh, Mr. Green, Craig Green is a legend uh, in the Houston area as far as jazz goes. And then I got to Bel Air and, it, and, and, and the music teacher, I don't even remember his name. I think it was one of been Strickland. I don't, it, it, but it really soured me. Mm. Um, it was the first time I'd ever been around where I, and I think this is where looking back on it now, I, it rubs me the wrong way at times when coaches kind of thump their chest about things that they don't, that they take credit for that they didn't really do. Like, right. right. You, you know, you've heard me say like, I don't, claim other position kids as mine if i'm not the defensive coordinator it's different right that's all your Mm -hmm. defense 
But when I was at West Mesquite, we had a lot of talented players, several of them still playing today. But I only claim my defensive line. That's it. That's that's who I claim. I I can say I had I helped. I hope I inspired. I hope I helped this young man, that young man. But I didn't directly coach them. I may have, you know, given them a, a tip here or there, but I'm not one of those coaches that's going to be like, well, I, I put that kid in college. I put that kid in college. I put sure, that you're right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't coach him. I didn't make the phone calls. Corey Jordan did all that stuff. Like that, mm-hmm. I would never take that from somebody else. So this guy um, would solo when a kid should be soloing. And I'm like, what do you like? You are done. If you want that, then you need to go and, you know, you have your own teacher band elsewhere. Like, <laughs> dude, like this yeah. is the kid's time. And so, you know, it just kind of soured me a little bit, but I will say my freshman year of college, I got to go to the first ever ACC championship game. That was the 2005 season when we beat Miami on Labor Day. It had been six or seven years in a row. That game was nuts. No one went to sleep the next (sighs) Like No one went to sleep after that game. It was just straight from the end of the game to you just rolled to an 8 a.m. class like you just it was it was a madhouse um that was the orange bowl game against penn state like there was so much that i'm blessed to do that i appreciate my parents for pushing me to go do and i got to experience um you know got a trip to go to you know play in the swamp play at death valley and clemson um trying to think of where else we went went to uh for uva uh that was one of the worst experiences because we (laughs) lost that game we should have never lost that game right um but i also had some bad experiences like i was at the game where you know wake shut us out Mm -hmm. uh and it was pouring rain it was like the worst loss bobby had had in doe campbell like yeah so it was there was some down times you know we, we my buddies and i went to florida state in some lean times, not the leanest times, but sure. we and in, in some lean times, um, you know, relatively speaking. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Compa- you know, th- there's the bar was set so high. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, and that's the deal is, you know, we just, and then, you know, graduate in 2009 and then four or five years later, here comes Jameis and Jimbo. And, um, yeah. you know, they, they turn around. I, uh, I remember being in the, in the call center, um, you know, trying to call and solicit donations. Yeah. Uh, and it was, and I was doing that at the time. I think LSU had just won the national championship. Jimbo was the OC. They had already said they were, they were not bringing back Jeff Bowden. And I called this guy and I, and I remember to this day, he goes, I'm not giving you guys another dime. You just, we just gave you our, your, our offensive coordinator. <laughs> he was so salty that Jimbo yeah. left LSU for Florida State. He's like, take me off the call list. Yeah. You know, and, and the guy, I think it was either his him or his wife had ties to FSU, but he was he was not happy about it. I think he was a little more Cajun and, and yeah. go tiger than than sure. Go Knowles. And, and you know, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just it's crazy because even in down times, people still want to beat Florida State. They don't, it, it still matters. Agreed. Agreed. 
You know, it's Florida. There, there's a like Florida State, Texas. You know, they still have this mystique about them, even though, like, again, they're lean times. Some some programs would probably want to be <laughs> at where they're at, but they they are. Yes, I would agree. Yes, Florida State and Texas have fallen. Like Texas losing to Kansas last year. I know when Chris Fisher came on the show, your Texas high school football chat, Godfather, we talked about that. that. That hurts, right? You know, but there's still a certain mystique when you see Texas across Jersey or Florida State. So I, I agree with you, man. I'm, I'm so happy that you got to do that because I, I did it the other way, right? I knew I wanted to keep playing football. So I went to Division three school. That was my only option to continue playing. And I love Austin College. I had several Austin College guests like Marvin Nash and many, many others. I love it. I, I, don't, I don't regret it. But the part that I wish I could have is that feeling of like rooting for my alma mater on a Saturday when the rest of the country is watching it too, which you get to have that I've adopted Michigan due to my, my in-laws are big Michigan season ticket holders. So I, I go to the big house every other year to watch the Ohio state game. When we go for Thanksgiving. I was there, Peter, when we beat Ohio state in the big house with the snow falling all around us. Like I was, that's the most beautiful moment football college football moment I've ever seen. and probably always will be, you know, but, um, and of course, I've adopted U of H now that I live down here and I'm a season ticket holder. I support all the athletics and I, I've always got that Texas fan from when I was a kid. So I, those are kind of my big three, but I'm so happy you got to do that. But I'm really interested. You, you're just so unique. Yeah. And, you know, you've listened to a couple episodes of the show. You know that I track statistics on when you entered college, did you know that you were going to coach? And the numbers are kind of surprising to me now that I've factored in your answer. 70.97% of my guests who are some of the best coaches in the state and the country they did not think they were going to be a coach when they enrolled in their college. They thought they were going to be doing something else. Like you thought you were going to be the next Jerry Maguire, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 just, I love that. I love that because it just shows that talented people from all walks of life, at the end of the day, he's got to love kids, you know? So it's never too late. So anybody listening, if, if, you're, if you're doing something else and you hate your job, and you're like, man, I, I want to coach, but it's just too late. I'm behind. I'll never catch up. Don't, don't think that way. You know, but I was really interested. You, you talked about, yes, you know, you, you wanted to be an agent, but then you ended up kind of reorienting your ship back towards the coaching route. And you said that you majored in Spanish. And I just find that so unique because I, you know, I don't hear that a lot, you know, um, amongst the coaching world. So I'm curious, was it something where you have a background, you know, as a Spanish speaker or did, or is it just like, you're like, Hey, I just, you're a smart guy. I think, you know, that maybe that Spanish made you more marketable because you're really in tune if you're coaching. Which way, what was it? What, what, what led you to kind of uh, going toward that Spanish direction at FSU? So I'm half Mexican uh, on my mom's side. Okay, um, very both. cool. Another similarity, Ten. Peter, I'm half Japanese. <laughs> I, I feel like you and me are like cut from the same Yeah, we are, man. It's yeah, so nice are. to get to know you better, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so technically my grandfather was born in Brownsville, uh, and then, you know, as soon as he was born, they moved back down to Mexico. So, you know, he, he just, he still caught, you know, was born, you know, more or less born and raised in Mexico. My grandmother's born and raised in Mexico. Um, so my parents are, or not my parents, but my mom and her siblings, uh, most of them were all first generation. Mm. Um, or I guess technically they're all first generation. So my cousins and I are all second generation in, yeah. in that regard. My dad is, um, kind of a mix of like Irish and uh, we have ties to Louisiana and, and the Lafayette area. Um, so th there's that kind of mix on the other side. Uh, but growing up, I mean, that that's all my grandparents spoke was Spanish. So, I mean, I've spoke Spanish since I was, you know, since I could speak. Awesome, um, man. My grandfather 
because of his time working in the factories and stuff around uh, wherever they lived, um, you know, he picked up broken English uh, here and there, just because you have to, to get by mm-hmm. uh, much the same as my dad works in the food industry. And so he's picked up, shoot, my dad's picked up broken Spanish, uh, a little bit of Arabic, um, some Farsi, like, yeah, yeah. He could utter a few phrases. Um <laughs> But, you know, my my parents saw the value in having that second language. So I was always in um, I was always in Spanish classes all throughout um, school. Um, So it was just kind of one of those things where I could I could fall back on it, you know, in the sense of getting that minor in it. And that's what actually opened the door. Yeah. uh, For me coaching. Yeah. Yeah. you know, cause I don't, I don't directly remember somebody saying, you know, don't do PE, but I do, right. you know, I do remember hearing about the PE jobs are few and far between. So sure. yep. that was the, that was like the first test I took and passed. Um, but then, you know, I was also able to get into an alternative certification program because my majors in sport management. And at the time, when I was at in school, it was in the College of Education, but we took zero education classes. And I don't know if it was because it was a new program and that's where they housed it. I mean, but we took all business classes, in my mm-hmm. opinion. It took human mm-hmm. resources, you know, logistics, um, sport ethics, sport law, like nothing related to education, at least in the capacity in which I, I operate in. Right, um, right. It was it was more administrative, if anything. Um, but I, you know, so it coming back to Houston, going through the alternative certification program, my my foot was in the door through Spanish. Yeah. So that was what uh, I eventually finally got certified in. Um, and then, you know, that's really what allowed me to move to go and teach in other places and coach in other places was, was that I, um, I did not, uh, I did not really have an opportunity from a PE standpoint. until I got down to Kingsville. Um, and then, you know, from there was when I was at Nevada community, that was when I got approached about getting into special education. Um, I I just, I, sorry, Peter, I, I, I chuckle. Because if it, I, I, you call it Nevada community, my best friend is from there. And I know that the locals, at least when he was there, they call it Nevada. So it's Nevada community. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So you back me up on that. So just, just listeners, yes. if you're ever going through there, it's Nevada community. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're a little stickler, but it's also like uh, everybody that's from Lancaster, calling it Lancaster. Right. Sure. I'm like, well, there's no extra E. Like, where are we getting this from? <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, so so Spanish for me is is always been, you know, a blessing. Um, yeah, absolutely. sometimes it's been I joke it's been a little bit of a curse because I'm the one that it gets called in to right. translate. Sure. Um and translating from an ed- educational standpoint, when you don't utilize those that verbiage on a consistent basis, is is difficult. Yeah, um, you're trying to think of like, well, how do I say this in Spanish? And so you use 
four or five words when you could probably just use one or two, but sure. you don't, you don't know the one or two you need to know. Um, you know, but, but my usage of Spanish is very different from my wife's, um, both of her, her parents. Um, I mean, she's like a hundred percent Texan mm-hmm. on both sides, but, the, but they are all, um, uh, of Mexican descent, you mm-hmm. know, her, her maiden name being Pena, her mom's maiden name being Suarez, uh, from the Cuero and Victoria area, but her and her brothers were not pushed and taught spanish because when their parents when her parents were going to school that was still during segregation Mm. and so having that second language was a stigma sure in a negative way and so they used that as that's they if they were arguing that's how they would argue without it being you know, the kids would understand. So yeah, unfortunately, you know, she's picked up here and there, but you know, she doesn't, um, she does not speak, uh, Spanish, you know, and, yeah. um, but she, she understands a little, she understands more, um, you know, especially as, as we have been together and, you know, just being around her, uh, grandparents and, the, and my grandparents and just the translating back and forth, she's been able to plug it in, um, you know, so it's one of those things where to me, it's a beautiful language. I, I totally wish, agree. I wish more, I'm, I wish more kids at younger ages would learn more. I mean, the studies are there that talk about the, the cognitive benefits. Um, you know, I, I would encourage all parents to teach their kids multiple languages yeah. Uh, starting at an early age because the brain is such a sponge and it's only going to enhance their children it, it's never going to detract um, totally agree with you man I, i'm yeah. kind of like your wife you know I, I think my mom partially my dad was not is not a native speaker my you know so i wasn't they weren't necessarily talking to each other all the time in japanese and plus my mom kind of and i don't know but yeah like kind of like the stigma or, or just like wanting to get ahead in america because i was born in tokyo so my mom left everything behind in Japan, you know, to come here. So I think she was just grinding and trying to assimilate to the American way and just focused on that. And so for all those various reasons, I don't speak very good Japanese. My Spanish is, is much better than my Japanese. And that's just from, I enjoy speaking Spanish. I, I, I studied in school. I did a study abroad in Querétaro, you know, a little bit in, in Mexico. And I just really enjoy it. I agree with you. It's a beautiful language. I have fun speaking it. So when I was coaching, you know, I would, I would speak with various, you know, faculty and staff members, you know, that, that could speak some Spanish and they enjoyed it. They enjoyed seeing, you know, coach Cobo, you know, trying to, trying to speak some Spanish with them. And I enjoyed it. So, um, totally agree with you on all that. And okay. So as far as your coaching career, you have, you, you know, you're at Bel Air, of course, we talked about that a little bit, you know, Crandall, Nevada community, West Mesquite, Santa Gertrudis in Kingsville, and now you're at Hendrickson, but I just want to zero in on the Nevada community. I, Cause I know we won't have time to hit every stop, but again, like my best friend, best man in my wedding, saw him this weekend at coaching school. He's the offensive coordinator at Clements in Fort Bend County. Uh, Derek Ruthard, he was a quarterback with, with me at Austin College. He was the valedictorian of the class of 2002 at Nevada Community, you know? And so I've been there many a time. He actually lived in Josephine. So that the community is comprised of Nevada, Josephine, Copeville, and what's the fourth? Levon? Yeah, so there you go. It's like I aced it. So th- those are the four cities that make up uh, community. So I know quite a bit about the school in the area. So I'm just curious. I'm so curious that you actually coached there, you know, after he had graduated. So what, what was it like coaching at Nevada community? 
Uh, it was interesting. Um, I got to, so when I got the, the only reason I was at Crandall was because I, I initially passed my Spanish content test, but I did not get a job full-time teaching job. I was waiting for something at Bel Air and it didn't, it didn't pan out. So for whatever reason that lapsed and I had to retake the content test mm -hmm. and I didn't pass it. Like they had changed, they made it a lot harder. Um, so I get hired at Crandall. I go be a head boy soccer coach and freshman football. I did, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, I played, we played soccer in college and intramurals for mm -hmm, fun, mm -hmm. but you know, I didn't know much about the game. So I was, um, I was, I, you know, they changed people in Crandall. I got told that I wasn't going to be brought back. I don't see, I don't look at being, I don't look at that as like being told you're not going to be brought back as being fired per se. Yeah, um, I yeah. think that's just part of the the transitional business when you bring in a new head coach. Part of the turn, change, right? Yep. You know, yep. whereas like at the newspaper, I legitimately told I was fired. Like, <laughs> so I just hold to to like that's the only job of for now. Knock on wood, I've ever actually been fired from. Right. But uh, Brian O'Neill was the, was the head coach and AD at the time, and you know, I just I think I remember applying. Um, no, I didn't actually didn't even apply. Well you know, yes, you technically apply to go through the HR stuff, but um, Alex Figert, who is the assistant AD at, in Mesquite ISD, was the head, um, he was the head boys soccer coach at West Mesquite at the time. Mm -hmm. And he's buddies with Brian O'Neill. And I think they were like hanging out together or whatever. Figure tells Brian about be, me. Brian like reaches out to me and offers me the opportunity to come and coach there and start the boys soccer program. Mm. I'm like, sure. Yeah. You know, young. Um, you know, just were my wife and I are, uh, I think we had just, no. Cause this was after the first, the second year at Crandall. So we're still in our dating. We haven't even gotten engaged yet. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so we go have the opportunity to start a program. Um, it's a really cool experience, right? You start to learn, you know, there's so much that I would go back and do differently, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't trade, the experiences per se, because it still taught you stuff, but you're like, oh, I wish I would have thought about this or thought about that. And, you know, just anytime you have the opportunity to start something and, and lay that foundation is, is huge. Um, it was also the first time where I became in charge of other coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a volunteer assistant my first year. I was able to, he, he was able to get, you know, a full stipend the next year. And then he eventually took over as the head coach uh, there at uh, Nevada Community. Um, but it was it was fun. You know, it was uh, the first time that I had heard the war chant played at a high school stadium. So OK, we did. Uh, yeah, we, we did midnight practice. I think that was one of those in vogue things at the time or whatever. Yeah. And 
they crank it up and I'm going nuts. Right. Cause then, you know, it's still you felt right like, at home. Yeah. <laughs> it felt right at home. And, it's, and people kind of look like the hell's the matter with this guy. I'm like, you don't understand. Like if the, if that, if that little first intro does not get your blood flowing, like you just, you don't, you don't have any reason to, and to me, like still to this day, usually the war chant is, is anytime I'm going to hit a, try to hit a big lift um, or a big max out. That's, yeah. that's my go-to. Um, so, you know, last year squats over, I hit 500 the year before I had hit 450. Um, wow. Four, 480. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so that was, I had that deal cranked up in the weight room, you know, and, um, it's just, that's, that's what gets me going, uh, when it matters. Because to me, it's just like the war chant signals excellence and conquering and, you know, we're, we're going to go and, and win it. Um, it was a tough deal. Um, I think we, we only made the playoffs one year, but I learned a lot, um, learned about working with, with a lot other different kinds of people, um, in terms of coaches and, and stuff. Uh, but it's an interesting, it's a very interesting community makeup because I feel like there's a little bit of LaVon that tries to associate itself with Wiley. Sure. Or then the other three communities. And then like Josephine is kind of the nicer of the other three. Right. And then there's like nothing in Coteville and there's nothing in Nevada, Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just farm. So, right. you know, and, and I really got exposed to some, some different kids too, you know? And so that was eye opening to see their home lives and, and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but I, I, I enjoyed my time there. There's a lot of great people that live in that area. Um, and, you know, I, I'll say this, the parent support was awesome. That's some yeah. of the best yeah. just parental support I've ever been around. That's awesome, man. So, you know, kind of putting a bow on, on the coaching portion before we have some fun here on the podcast, you know, you've had a great career. You're still going. I mean, I, I just, I love your passion because, you know, yeah, yeah, yes, you're the D tackles coach, but I'm like, listen to your podcast. I, you have such a wealth of knowledge and passion for the strength and conditioning component, you know? And so you're just, you're really, you're growing and excelling in both of those two fields. You're bringing on dynamic guests each and every week, you know, and expanding your knowledge base. So, you know, just kudos to you. And, uh, you know, as far as your coaching career, you know, you, you did say you got to coach against Randy Allen and you know, some of those amazing coaches at Highland Park when you're at West Mesquite. So you, you, you've had some big time moments, you know, coached against some, you know, some big guys. But this is the portion where I always like to ask my coaches to come on the show about parents, because I want parents to listen to this show, too. And I just I believe so much in coaches, you know, you know, uh, Marvin Nash and I talked about this, like he lost his mom to cancer while he was in high school. I had a bad relationship with my father and kind of had some, you know, like domestic abuse stuff going on at home growing up fighting and just hearing the screams all night, you know, the yelling all night long and just hoping you could fall asleep so you can get in the car and go to school the next morning. And, and the, my coaches were my heroes. You know, they made me feel like I could do anything, made me feel good about myself. And um, they're, they're just so pivotal to so many kids. And so that's why I do this podcast. I mean, honestly, that's the reason I want to just put these stories out there so that parents can hear how professional and in, invested our coaches are. And now that I'm doing the broadcasting, Peter, because I don't know if you knew that about me, but I, I stream like three nights a week. I'm at a game calling it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like a color commentator, you know, for Vibe or Texan Live or various streaming services. 
and so now I'm in the stands a little bit more. I'm in, up in the press box. I'm walking, I'm listening, you know, I, I go walk around at halftime and sometimes I hear things I don't like, you know, and it really kind of gets me. I'm sure coaches, you hear some of this stuff too, but I understand parents are doing it from a place of love. They love their kids more than anything else. So they, they think that they're helping, but my hypothesis is that they're, they're hurting their kids by, by bringing out some of this negativity into the program. And so I just want your advice for if a parent's listening and they want to be, they want to give their child the best possible experience in high school athletics. What would you recommend to those parents? Like what, what, what's your blueprint for being a good sports parent that gives your kid that great experience? So I'm going to give this answer, but I'm going to preface it as this is like the perfect answer because I don't have like my wife and I don't have kids yet. So we always say well, we're perfect parents because we haven't screwed anybody's up, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I, I've this is, I think, like my 14th year coaching. And so I've seen a lot of different parents. Um, my My biggest deal is if you can find time to give your time, if you can volunteer your time, do it. Like that's one of the most important things that I think anybody would, would agree to is please parents volunteer your time. Mm -hmm. It means a lot to your kids. Um, my dad, as much as he worked in the restaurant business, found ways to volunteer time my dad um you will remember this this uh long time houston area staple or really the state of texas um the black eyed pea uh, -huh. uh so he yeah. used to he used to manage several different locations throughout that's his a blast career. from the past i haven't thought yeah. about a black eyed pea <laughs> okay there you go yeah <laughs> so he you know he finally man he, he finally he was always you know, away from my, my parents have been in the same house for like 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. Right. Or actually I think 40 now, somewhere around that neighborhood, long time, but he never got, he, he finally got to manage the one that was in Bel Air, mm -hmm. like towards the end of his career with, um, with black IP before he flipped to the other side and went into food sales. He was in like town and country. He was mm -hmm. in, um, I think at one point he was in Pasadena, like he was always having to drive far away. So when right. he got to that Bel Air store, like Black Eyed P became instantly, a, you know, what do we do to get involved with Bel Air High School? Like yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, but even prior to that, both him and my mom were, they were there, um, you know, and even after I graduated and my sisters, both my sisters graduated from HSPVA. Oh, cool. They were, they were always there, even for several years after they were still involved um, because it, it brought pride to them to stay involved. So, you know, my biggest deal first and foremost is urging parents to get involved. If you want to have your kids time in a school, be successful, get involved. It's, it's kind of hard to, sit there in the stands and be upset when you have the opportunity to, to, to help better it and you don't do anything about it. Amen. You know, yep. like I, and please stop yelling, tackle him and block somebody. Cause I promise you it's being echoed on the sideline. 
Yeah. Um, some people do it a little bit more polite than others. I'll, I'll say it like that yeah. coaching wise, but you know, we're, we're, I promise you, we don't have any plays where we tell people do not tackle X, Y, Z. Now, offensively, they may drop a scheme and say, we won't block that person, but we'll read them. But sure. that's a, that's, you know, that's a very specific thing. Um, nobody's going out there trying to tank and lose games because this is not the NFL. You don't bolster <laughs> your, you know, you're not going to get lottery picks off of this. Right. Um, you know, and if you can't give time, find other resources that you can give. If you work at a place that, that can match donations, donate, yeah. ask people, um, you know, fundraising is a big, big issue in terms of just the saturation of things like, no one wants to sell gift wrap. Like it's like sure. one of the worst things that you can do, but you know, sometimes it's one of the only things left on the table for, for organizations. So, you know, I just remember my parents taking the flyer up to school or yeah. up to their work, you know? And so, uh, you know, volunteer time, volunteer resources. And the other deal is, you know, just be patient with, with the coaches, you know, like yeah. you said, like, very 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 few coaches get into this for anything other than a benevolent you know absolutely deal like yeah absolutely it's a true passion to work and it's a true calling to be a coach like you know you're at almost 80 percent of your guests did not think that they would be a coach in college only speaks to the fact that this is truly a calling uh so these men and women feel called to be around the youth when, especially at ages when people don't, especially at the middle school level, like right, right. my hat's off to all middle school coaches because it's, it's a, it's one of the toughest things that you can do uh, freshman being the next one, because, you know, it's a little bit easier to coach at the varsity level, especially if you're coaching a bunch of four and five stars, like they're going to make you look like a better coach. But, you know, when you're yeah. cutting your teeth against, with the the younger kids and the, and the the average joes like you're going to learn a lot about yourself um you know and, and the other deal is just how can if you have questions about what's going on engage with the coaches and just ask them questions but try to do so in a manner that is open minded Mm -hmm. don't 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 come and say well my kid is xyz we went to this camp and that camp and did you pay for it that, yeah yeah well bingo. if you pay if you pay yeah. for it they're going to tell you what you want to hear that like that and you know and yeah. the other deal with when it comes to personal trainers like yeah if you're paying me i'm gonna tell you some nice things you know why because i need that paycheck like yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not at a, and I don't private train, but if I had gotten to a point where that's where I wanted to do, yeah, eventually you hope to get to a point where you don't have to worry. You can extremely, you can be very selective, but initially, you know, I've, I've talked to several coaches that are like, yeah, initially we took everybody, the good, the bad, and, and everything in between. So, you know, just understand that coaches have a plan. Coaches want the best for your kids. and when a coach is holding your kid to a high standard, run with that. Right. Like don't find a way to skirt it and take them elsewhere 
just because you think that they're going to be let off easy. Like that only creates more issues later in life because that kid is going to think like, well, I don't have to work that hard because I can go over here and, you know, I'll look better over here, but it doesn't actually guarantee anything of, of significant value. Yeah, Peter, man, it's like what you described If you, in episode 14, which I think you've listened to this episode, the Brett Sniffen episode, now the head coach at Belton, he described Bucky Richardson. We had the pleasure and honor of coaching Bucky Richardson's son, John Paul, at Ridgepoint, and now he, he had a great freshman season up there in Stillwater, Oklahoma State. And for those of you that don't know, or if the name Bucky Richardson sounds familiar, he was a legend, legendary quarterback at Texas A&M. He played at the Oilers in the, in the NFL for a few years, and he did everything that you said. He actually started – um, uh, like uh, Fort Bend Youth Football League. So, uh, you know, an, we, there, there was one league existing, but this was a, a kind of a, a competitor or an offshoot league that he started. And it was all to just get that better feeder pattern where those coaches were all coming up to the, the field house at Ridgepoint and we were, we were clinicking with them and they were showing them what we ran on offense, defense. And it was kind of creating that true feeder all the way from Pee Wee football up into Ridgepoint High School. And that was Bucky Richardson spearheaded that so there he, he volunteered his time he volunteered his money and the the thing that coach Stippen said is somebody like Bucky Richardson is very qualified obviously as a professional football player to come in and, and give his two cents on what we're doing on offense and defense never once all those interactions that coach Stippen had at Bucky he said Bucky never once said anything about schematics it was always just coach what can I do to help and I just think that's so beautiful that someone of that caliber gets it and that's just, that's just what I'm, I'm saying to everyone is is just don't be led astray by people that like what you described I mean someone like use that example of Bucky Richardson because he definitely he got it all right now moving to your favorite teams coach let's just get to know a little bit more about you obviously you're Florida State all the way as my listeners know my one hobby is I collect jerseys it's out of control it's an addiction I have over 430 jerseys yes my wife reminds me that all the time I've apologized profusely but I did bust out. I've got I've got the Warwick done in your honor today, Coach. So I, I got my Warwick done Florida State jersey on. Um, you also are a fan of all the Houston teams, so you, you know you are a hometown fan as well. But it's time for you to go into the hot seat, Coach, for the start bench cut portion. As always, start bench cut is brought to us by our good friends at MVP Marketing Group. My good friend Mike Voglar is the CEO. Basically, what it is is if your district or program is looking to attract sponsors. Rather than seeking out donations, if you're looking to partner with local businesses and get sponsorship dollars, Mike can create that plan for you, make those connections and bring in that money. So that's what the MVP Marketing Group does. His contact stuff is in my show notes. Give him a call. Just, just talk to him and he'll, he'll describe what he does. And if it's a good fit, he'll give you a team player podcast discount if you say that Coach Kobo sent you. So uh, definitely check that out. Joey Florence, the longtime uh, Denton Ryan head football coach and AD at Denton, he's a, he's a customer. His testimony was on, on the website. So Denton ISD is a, a client along with uh, Salina ISD, Crowley ISD, Mesquite ISD out there back in your neck of the woods. And also the Southwest Athletic Center in Carrollton is another, is another customer there. All right. I bought you some time, coach. And you got you, gave you some time to get ready, limber up a little bit because we're about to try to make you squirm, give you some, some, tough, uh, some tough start bench cut scenarios here. Let's go ahead and start with Stroh's edition. Okay. Well, right now we're recording this, the, you know, we got some Astros, uh, you know, we're in the all-star break, you know, inside the all-star game last night. Uh, they're getting ready for that big stretch run into October. So I think it's, it's time for an Astros edition here. I've asked this one to a couple guests. I'm curious how you go with it. Start bench cut Jose Altuve, Craig Biggio, Jeff Bagwell. 
got to start one. You got to bench one. You got to cut one. Got two of the killer bees. And then now Altuve, now, you know, Springer and Correa moved on. Altuve, you know, is, is a longtime staple. So I, I feel comfortable putting him in this rarefied air of comparing him with and Bagel. So I want to know, Coach, what would you do? Start, bench, cut. Uh, I hope Jeff Bagwell never hears this episode because I emulated his stance. All I was a horrible little league baseball player. Horrible. <laughs> I got hit by, I probably might've led the league and hit by pitch though. Cause I crowded the plate, There you go. Um, but I would, I would cut Bagwell. Okay. Um, and, and I, he's one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Uh, start Biggio man. Like it's just that, that guy can play anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then Altuve is coming off the bench. Love it. And I, I, you're not the, and so far, Jeff, Jeff has gotten, Jeff has been cut before the guess that I've asked this. Now I've, it's been some back and forth between starting Biggio or Altuve, but uh, unfortunately Jeff, I, maybe it's playing the first base, you know, not, not getting to see that middle infield, you know, uh, uh, spectacular play in the middle infield there, but Jeff Bagwell has been cut. So don't, don't feel bad there, even though I know, you know, you're a huge fan. This is the one I was really excited for. I got a couple Knowles additions here, man, for you, because I know you would just get a fun kick out of this. You're a D-line guy. So let's go for D-line edition here. Andre Wadsworth, Corey Simon, and Peter Bolware. So some three tremendous pass rushers there out of Florida State University. Andre Wadsworth, Corey Simon, Peter Bolware. Uh, starting Corey Simon. Okay. Um, it's just a stalwart right there. Uh, go with... Andre Wadsworth coming off the bench and cutting Peter Bulware. Any reason why in particular? I know they're all really good, but what, what was it about Peter that, that just was a little bit less than the rest? Um, I mean, you're splitting hairs. I think this is yeah. kind of like like with uh, with your episode with, with Coach Nash and you were making him choose linebackers and you had like Erlacher. Yeah. And it's like you're you're not gonna, it can't win. Yeah. Yeah, win. Yeah. Uh I mean you because you could easily justify either one of you know Wadsworth or, or Bullware, but you know, Corey Simon in the middle, and it's just yeah. like that's a difference maker from the interior. Like case in point, look at Aaron Donald. Like good, great, great comparison. It's a, it's a huge that. difference maker when when you have somebody like that in the middle, Vince Wolfork for years with the Patriots, like it didn't matter who you lined up outside of him. You just, you had to take care of the middle first. So I agree with you coach. That's why Aaron Donald is my MVP. I mean, I, I just think he's the biggest game changer, single-handed game changer in the game. And I think for me, I agree with you on Corey Simon. I also, I just like what Wadsworth just brings back nostalgia for me just during that time. You know, he was a dude when I was, you know, coming up at that formative age, but okay. Well, we want the big guys. Let's go with some speed here. Let's go into the secondary. Uh, or and I got a linebacker in there too, but just just to have a little fun with it. So we got prime time, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, Terrell Buckley, great NFL career, and I put Derek Brooks in there because he's fast as hell. So I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and lump him <laughs> in there. So we got prime time, Deion Sanders, Terrell Buckley, and Derek Brooks start bench cut. And I see Coach. We don't do video on, on Team Player Podcast, but Coach is visibly shaking right now. His hands are over his eyes. <laughs> uh. I would probably have to cut T Buck, man. Like, and that yeah. that pains me to say. Sure. But Derek Brooks as a linebacker, just I mean, he was a huge difference maker. Absolutely. You know, and just being able to have that athleticism at linebacker, you know, look at what he did in the pros, like just it all translated. Um, but he would come off the bench. Like you can't not start Deion Sanders, like. 
the guy has to be on the field. He's going to close half of it for his coverage. You're not going to kick it to him because if you do, you're insane. Like, I, you know, and then I guarantee you, if you needed to, you could turn him around and throw him the ball on offense or throw it, you know, give him to him on a jet sweep and he's going to house it. So yeah. you, you got to have a playmaker on the field. That is Deion Sanders. Totally agree with you there, coach. And I just thought of something. This wasn't on our show notes, but you mentioned coach Nash and that linebacker test that I put him through. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play, I'm going to play this a little bit. St- who would you start between Derek Brooks and Ray Lewis? I know that's your rival, you know, uh, Miami hurricane there, but I mean, I know you want to win games. I mean, so I'm, I'm curious, well, if you got Derek Brooks and Ray Lewis, one starting spot, who are you starting? Um, so in between, you know, when the, when the Oilers left and before the Texans got started, uh, I became a Bucks fan. Okay. And at the time, my two favorite players were Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp. Yeah. Um, you know, Sap was just like absolutely. He was just it was something about a big dude just being that cool. Um so I guess I my the deal would be who's in front of those guys. Like it, it, and that would that like that's the coach of me. You are such a like, coach. You are such a coach. <laughs> I, you're you're because, gonna factor be, in who their D tackles are. Because because to me, it. you it. know, it's if it's Warren Sapp and like Tony Saragusa, yeah. then I'll then I'll probably take Derek Brooks because I want that coverage, knowing That's that I trust those guys to get off the great off, answer, you know. But great, if it's <laughs> you know if it's some other guys that are not as pro you know prolific, um, then I want that plugger in Ray Lewis. You know, I love if it. I'm if if it's you know if we're facing Leonard Fournette right now that bulked up to a two sixty. Yeah, you know, or or uh, Derek Henry, then give me Ray Lewis because I know Ray Lewis right now is going to come downhill and you know at least try to make contact. Um, I don't know how many linebackers are going to sign up to hit those guys, but I know Ray Lewis will. So, I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put an asterisk on that answer. It depends. Okay, I also I also like run this show as like a kind of like a recruiting service for coaches. So I hope head coaches listen to this and like. <laughs> <laughs> the level of thought that my man here just put in that answer, he needs another shot at DC somewhere. So if you're a, if you're a head coach, camp athletic coordinator listening to this, just, just, just think about what he just did there. That was a great answer to the start bench, start cut there. Um, okay. Let's have a little fun. You're a defensive guy, but let's, let's move to the other side of the ball. You like to stop these guys. Some of the, some fireworks on the offensive side of the ball here, Peter Warwick, Warwick Dunn. I'm wearing the Jersey in his honor tonight. Great humanitarian, great, great seminal. Anquan Bolden, you know, big old physical receiver. So let's let's go there. Peter Warwick, Warwick Dunn, Anquan Bolden start bench cut. So Peter Warwick gets the start. Like it's the same kind of answer with Dion. Like you put the playmaker on the field um, because you're same deal. If you kick it to Peter Warwick, you're you're insane. He's got he's yeah. got you know. I, I think I saw a tweet and he made the top ten you know, most electrifying college football players of all time, which justifiably so like all you young guys, like go, go Google Peter Warwick's highlights from college. Yep. Don't do it in the pros. Just go to Florida state. I wanted to ask you about that though, real quick. Cause I was wondering that myself. Cause I, w- those of us that remember that period just thought, wow, you know, he was the dude. What do you think happened? You probably followed a little more closely. Was it, was it the factor of 
being with the Bengals, and that can be a kind of a career killer. Was it injuries or, you know, he just, I don't, and, and, and my, my good friend, Dominique Williams, who, who, who does the, the music for our show, we don't like using the word bust. We don't like saying that word because we kind of find it's disrespectful, you know, for these professional athletes. But, you know, I don't want to call him a bust, but he it definitely didn't live up to the expectation. I think most of us would say his NFL career. So why do you think that happened? Um, I did not follow it as closely, okay. but I would okay. I would venture to guess, uh, uh, you know, injuries is always going to play a factor into it. Um, but, you know, the other deal is just, I feel like in that time, I don't know how innovative NFL offense was compared to, I feel like that was the era where NFL defenses were more of the innovative, you know, mm. that, that early two thousands, you had all the Tampa defense stuff. You had everything that Dick LeBeau was doing in Pittsburgh. Um, I think you started to see some, some wrinkles a little bit more offensively, um, but I don't know that everybody was quite on board with spreading it out the way it is now, you know, Peter Warwick in, in offenses today, like if Peter Warwick had Patrick Mahomes throwing to him, he'd be one of the best all time probably. And so I, you know, I think there's, that's part of the deal is, you know, and it's same, probably the same deal with quarterbacks. It's like, why do certain quarterbacks not pan out? Um, You know, and obviously the, the thing that none of us really know is how, and only Peter Ward could answer this question and be how serious did he take sure, maybe preparation, sure, you know, sure. and, and you don't know. Um, but that, well, yeah. Great, great factor deals. there though, with the, with the era though, that could definitely contribute the era of that he played in and cause his size wasn't, you know, maybe, maybe at that time, maybe they like the big six, three, six, four wide receiver, they go up, but you know, and I, yeah, that's a great point there, but so you're going to start Peter Warwick. Now you still got a, you got a bench spot and a cut spot for Warwick Dunn or Anquan Bolden. Oh man, that's really tough. Cause I feel like Anquan is undervalued at how good he was in college and, and how great of a career he, cause I think that people would trade anything to have the kind of career that Anquan Bolden had. Cause he had a great long career. Um, Man, dude, you're, these are three of the of the best to ever wear the garnet and gold. Yeah, and I got a pick. Um, I'm I I think I'm going to cut work and I'm going to keep Anquan. And the only thing is with the deal with Anquan is Anquan also played quarterback. Yeah, <laughs> I love your answers. <laughs> so you could kind of in a pen, you know, Anquan can throw it to Peter and or hand it off to peter uh and then potentially run it himself because he's a big physical body um but at the end of the day like if you needed a first down or if you needed a, a goal line catch anquan bolden was going to make it like he's just consistent and and i mean that it, like splitting hairs like to say you're going to cut work done you, it's relatively insane but i mean work done is probably one of the greatest humanitarians to ever walk the face of this earth so uh work if you ever listen to this i'm sorry man and i i just i'm having so much fun doing this with you coach because i love the, the thoughts of your answers and so i'm going to bring in again with the rivals i know we love work done so let me ask you this if fred taylor showed up on campus would you give work the start or would you go with fred taylor you know from your uh your hated gators there i go with work done okay there you go so yeah work if you're listening you know you get the start there what what about some of those great gator wide receivers though like what about a quiz rogers if 
Yeah, or uh, I mean, Jacquez Green, excuse me, Jacquez Green. Would would he be able to? Is he in the same stratosphere as a Bolden or or a uh, Peter Walker or no? I, I would I would put him over over Bolden. You know, I, yeah. I, I how dynamic Peter Work was. I, I don't know that people like understand like he was pretty much an unstoppable force. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's it's t- it's tough to really stack receivers ahead of peter warwick i mean i'm yeah. sure you could compare statistics and this that or the yeah. other but i mean he just had he just kind of had the whole package i think love it love it love it now last one coach we gotta we're gonna go to, to the, the to the uh quarterback position here our start bench cut is charlie ward chris wanky and Jameis winston got to start one bench one cut one charlie ward chris wanky and Jameis winston oh man uh I'm I'm starting Charlie. Um, yeah. Just I, I mean, of the three, he is absolutely dynamic as an athlete, um, and he's a he is just an absolute leader. Um, it's a tough deal between Chris Winkie and Jameis Winston. I mean, if you're looking at the way in which the game is played now, I think you've got to go Jameis because he's a little more athletic than Chris. Um, but if 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 you, it's like you can you were okay with you know somebody like a, a a Peyton Manning just being back there, then I would go with Chris Winkie. You know, like just just oh to gosh. command it, sling yeah. it, you know, just move on about the deal, make a make a one or two you know athletic deal play. You know, okay, like like I would start Andrew Luck over Chris Winkie. Right. I, I think Andrew Luck is, is probably one of the most underrated athletic quarterbacks to oh, ever play the dude, game. Ab, abs, abs of freaking lootly. And again, I have experience of this. We, you know, Derek Carr was our quarterback at Clements. We had my first year coach and we had the 13 and one season. We in the playoffs, Fort Ben Clements met, uh, I think it was second round. We met, we met Stratford. So it was Derek Carr versus Andrew Luck in a high school football game. And that was pretty cool. But we actually we all called him Andrew Truck because he trucked one of our linebackers, man. And I forget one, I forget which guest it was. One of the ones I interviewed recently, I think it I think it might have been uh, Masaki Matsumoto, perhaps because he's out. He he was in California. I know you probably know him from the Twitter universe. He's uh, he's up in, in Washington State now. But anyhow, we got to talking about about Andrew Luck, and and it was just like I think people don't realize how physical and how physically strong and how good of an athlete he was. So. Totally agree with you there, man. Andrew Luck, um, it's unfortunate the injuries uh, derailed his career and shortened it, but also kudos to him for putting his, you know, having that. I, I just, I'm just so impressed with him, you know, and his dad, Oliver, just everything about the Luck family, just so impressive. But uh, man, this was fun. Uh, love your answers, man. I see why you entertained law school. Like the way that your mind worked during that. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that in my all my 30 episodes of Start Bench Cuts here. So. Yeah, I, I loved it, Coach. That was fun. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, again, just take that 10 seconds. Give us that five-star rating. Leave a review if you'd like to. I'll read it on the show. Hit that follow button. That's what I do. I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I am I'm am subscribed to the Hanging of Coach Newton podcast. Do the same thing for the Team Player podcast. So I get I get the new episode as soon as it comes out. Um, if, you're, if you're loving this Team Player life like I am, man, hit, hit me up. Hit me up on Twitter, Coach underscore Kovo, K-O-V-O, or you can email us at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. We lift up our own inside as Team Player Nation. We're just trying to build a community of like-minded people. So if you have 
show recommendations. I've had people reach out to me. I go call those people and we get them on the show. So please, we're, we just build this on our own. It, I, I joke about bringing my guests into team player studios. It, it's really just my office. I don't, I don't have a marketing team. There's no real studio. You know, it's just one man and uh, we're just having fun with it. So please stick along for the ride and we're going to keep on rolling. As always, the cover art music for the team player podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr and our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Noonan, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Man, it's a pleasure and an honor. I, I love everything that you're doing. I wish you all the best in the future, man. And uh, anything I can do to help, please just let me know. I'm, I'm part of the team player alum. I'm proud of, of that yeah. the moniker now. And uh, I just love what you're doing, man. I think it's going to be, I think it's, you're doing exactly what needs to be done in the coaching community. And, and so my, my tip of the cap to you. Amen. Likewise, don't, don't forget, hang in with Coach Noonan. Subscribe, <laughs> subscribe now before we leave. But thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch y'all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but you be told I need some therapy, 